Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Well, we're open for business once again at the Catholic Cafe. This is Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth at that Catholic Cafe, and I'm joined with Tom Dorian. Tom, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, Deacon Jeff. How about you? I'm doing just fine. And guess what fine. we've done today? What have we done we've today? We've changed the menu once again. Excellent. We have added wine to our menu. We'll I'm be not, serving uh, alcoholic beverages for, today. For breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> no, not for breakfast. That would be a bad idea. Yes, that would. But actually, we are going to talk about wine today because that's a topic that comes up quite often. In fact, recently I was on an airplane trip, okay. and I was sitting next to a wonderful missionary Baptist. Uh, we started talking about the faith, started uh-huh. talking about Christianity, started talking about the Catholic Church in particular. And he asked me questions, and eventually it got around to wine and the okay. drinking of wine right. and his impression about Catholics. And so what we wanted to do is maybe do a show that really sort of focuses in on what the Catholic Church teaches about drinking wine, wine in particular, but also just drinking in, in general. Got to be a lot of jokes in there somewhere. Well, there probably are, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we won't tell any jokes today, but I yeah. think... Uh, I think we want to try and first start and see from his perspective, this missionary Baptist perspective, he's probably heard several scriptures that that give the impression that drinking wine was a bad thing, that it was evil, okay. and it should be avoided. And here are several of those initial passages from the Bible uh, talking about wine. First, we'll start out uh, in Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And of course, also in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 20 through 21, be not among wine-bibbers or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe the man with rags. Then of course, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening, till wine inflames them. And also from that same chapter 5 in Isaiah, verse 22, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Heroes at... Now, Tom, is that not talking about you, is it? Because I know you like to wear superhero costumes. A hero, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, well, that's a whole other show, isn't it? Yeah, well, I thought being a hero (laughs) was a good thing. But here, in in, um, uh, this is like maybe the darker side of the hero. Right. If you're going to be good at something, don't be good at drinking. Don't be a hero of drinking wine. That's exactly. That's what Isaiah is telling us. And then, of course, uh, from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the operative word, I would think, is drunk. Well, I think so, and I think that's one of the things I talked to this uh, right. this young man about was really about this concept that things to excess are going to be a problem. From a, Absolutely. From, from a Catholic perspective, I guess from any perspective, anytime things get into excess, you start getting into trouble. Yeah. And I think that one of the things we have to remember first off is all of these verses that I've just read, in fact, anytime that the Bible speaks negatively about wine – it's usually about wine in excess. Right. It's drunkenness. Right. It's, it's right. going too far uh, in drinking your wine. And I think that's the first thing we'd want to point out, uh, that drinking wine in excess is a bad thing. 
It's, it is sinful. Well, it leads to sinful things. It's going to it's going to change your ability, uh, your mind to be able to rationalize and make good, yeah. smart decisions. It's going to do things as, as you as the more and more you drink, obviously. And I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. Right. That the more you drink, the more clouded your judgment becomes. That's true. The less your ability to drive a car, to operate any kind of heavy machinery, to make sound decisions, all those things kind of go out the window as you as you uh, as you drink more. And a person that drinks a lot and on a frequent basis, it can potentially devastate the family. It can it can uh, help you to lose your job, et cetera, et cetera. Right, it'll destroy your body. It'll destroy everything. So I think Catholics and any other sound-minded group would would agree that drunkenness is a problem. It's a sinful behavior. Right. In and of itself is a sin to to drink to excess, mainly because it will lead you astray. It will lead you down the wrong path. But this gentleman wasn't talking about drinking to excess. He was talking about drinking, period. That's where we want to make the distinction. That's where I think we we want to talk about this, because does that mean that you should never drink wine? Should you never drink alcohol? Now, there are people that believe that. There are people probably listening to this program that think, you know what, I don't think that we should have any alcohol at all, that we should uh, make laws that make it illegal to have alcohol, uh, to make alcohol, because all it does is lead us down to destruction. Right. And I think that uh, maybe that might be a problem, because basically we have to look at what else is in Scripture. Okay. Because does Scripture tell us that all alcohol is bad? And no, there are many scriptures. Not really. Well, you know, and that's exactly right. And I think when I talked to uh, to my friend, my newfound friend on the airplane, we had like an hour and a half uh, flight, so it was a nice long conversation. Did you tell him we'd be doing a show about? We, we would do a show. Well, about this? I didn't at the time, but I did invite him to listen to the show. Okay. So, and he said he was going to do that, so Great. maybe he'll pick this one up. Yeah. But scriptures also tell us in several different places that perhaps that drinking wine, if we drink wine in moderation, that it's actually a good thing. Uh, let's read um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Go eat your bread with enjoyment and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And also in that same book, chapter 10, verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And then Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26. Spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep, or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. So these are opportunities where wine is associated with celebration, with Mm -hmm. joy, with reward. Mm -hmm. In fact, let's keep going down that path of reward. Um, Wine is often a bountiful blessing. It's a gift from God. Mm -hmm. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 28, we read, May God give you the dew of heaven... And of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. That's Isaac uh, who brought Jacob wine and he drank it with God's blessings. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the book of Numbers, chapter 18, verse 12, all the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. So here it is, a blessing Mm -hmm. to get this wine. Wine is included in those other things, whether it's oxen or, you know, fatted calves or... Uh, plentiful grain, bountiful crops, and good sweet wine. That Mm -hmm. all comes from God. Deuteronomy 
verse uh, 13 of chapter 7. He will also bless the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. Then again in Psalm 104, verses 14 through 15, Thou dost cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So again, wine to gladden the heart. There's all this talk about gladdening of the Mm -hmm. heart that comes from wine. Mm -hmm. And that's an important concept. In fact, there was an interesting thing uh, that God says when he saves his people in Zechariah. We hear in chapter 10, verse 7, Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. So when God comes to save the people, our hearts will be glad as with wine. So obviously, if he's making that comparison Mm -hmm. through the prophets, if he's making that comparison to the gladdening that comes from wine, Mm -hmm. then wine isn't necessarily always a bad thing. And of course, there's more. Scripture also points out that not only is wine a blessing from God, it is also an acceptable offering to God. We read in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And of course, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verse 4, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give him. So these are acceptable offerings. God wanted the best. He wanted the best of your wine as well. And of course, Paul tells Timothy of wine's medicinal value, uh, uh, jumping ahead to the New Testament, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach. So wine is certainly not an evil in and of itself. No, I think, I think the drunkenness is the, is the key. Yeah, and I think that you've heard the Catholic expression, all things in moderation yep. are good, with the exception of mortal sin. You can't have mortal sin in moderation. Well, obviously. But the point is, if anything comes between you and God, right. that's a bad thing. Yes. So it's not only going to be wine that's going to be a problem. That brings to light all those things like gambling, eating, you know, gluttony, eating too much food. Smoking, any kind of tobacco product, any the hard liquors. Yep. Sex can be a problem for some people. That's true. Power, you know, in business. These kinds of things can all get between you and God. They yep. can they can destroy that relationship with God because they become gods in and of themselves with a small G. Right. And that's what we have to guard against. Now when I explained all this to this point, yeah. my missionary Baptist friend was was pleased that a Catholic might know something in Scripture, which was a good thing. Good. But I, he still wasn't sold yet. Okay. And so what we're going to do is when we come back, we're going to talk more about this on some other issues that we discussed. Because obviously one thing leads to another when you're, when you're talking about the faith and two people don't agree about something. You'll start to build a case. And so we came back and he came back with a couple of comments that I wanted to then go back and dig deep into my scripture and see if I couldn't find some answers for those things as well. So we're going to come back to that in just one moment. You got me sitting on the edge of my seat. Yeah, you can't wait hardly, Edge of the booth. Well, before we do that, let's uh, talk a little bit about www.thecatholiccafe.com. That's our website, and we'd love for you to come and visit us on that website. You can hear this program and any other program we've ever recorded is there on the website for you to listen to. 
We also have some wonderful resources there on that website that you can uh, click on and go and find out more about what the church teaches on a variety of subjects. And I'd also like to hear from you. I want you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So at this time, you may get up, go to the refrigerator, get that (laughs) box of wine you've got, pour yourself a glass, and we'll see you in just a few minutes. I'm Bess Trzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. The relationship between monastery brew houses and the act of Christian hospitality has nestled a special place in Catholic culture for centuries. As monastic life began to take shape across Europe, the art of hospitality and its connection to monastery living took deep root. Before the modern era of roadside inns, travelers used the network of monasteries as way stations between their destinations. Monastic hospitality directed the monks to care for these travelers. The monastic rule of St. Benedict says, Let everyone that comes be received as Christ. The monks abided by this teaching, and each monastery became known for its hospitality and its own unique brand of ale or beer which was served to thirsty visitors. The work of the monastery was integral to the spiritual life of the monks. Many monasteries were self-sustaining operations with vast tracts of land. The monastic communities relied on the land to provide sustenance for their community. Operating the monastery took hard work and required daily labor from the monks. To sustain themselves, especially during periods of fast, the monks would brew heavy beers and ales. By drinking these fermented concoctions, they were able to stay faithful to their fast, but also able to sustain the energy levels needed for the hard work. Beer was considered liquid bread at the time and enjoyed for its many nutritional properties. As time went on and monasteries became centers of learning and laboratories for science, the monks used their education to perfect the brewing art. They were able to improve production practices and provide this special drink, not only for their own communities, but the villages around them. One particular order of monks, called the Trappist, had become famous all over the world for their beers and ales. The Trappist order was founded in the Cistercian Monastery of La Trappe, France. The founder of the order felt that the Cistercian order as a whole was becoming too lax. He instituted strict new rules, and one of the core tenets of the order was that each monastery was to be self-sustaining. The Trappist monks looked to the brew houses that already existed within their walls and began brewing beers and ales for sale to the public. Some of these Trappist monasteries are still brewing beers and ales that can be found at your local grocery store. They are considered to be some of the highest quality and most robust and flavorful ales and beers in production today. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. Well, all righty, we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm sitting here talking with my good friend Tom Doran. And, Tom, you've got a wonderful glass of wine sitting in front of you. It is a wonderful glass of wine. Uh, uh, and is it a – what vintage is it? Is it from this last week or – Yeah, it's that good stuff, that, that $2 bottle. It, no, it's a box. It does not come in a bottle. 
So I'm glad you have your wine. Now, Thank as you. we move on, I want to continue with our conversation about uh, drinking wine. Now, whenever you talk about this subject, invariably the discussion will turn to the alcoholic content of the wine. And I did ask my friend, by the way, about his particular church. I said, well, do you commemorate the Lord's Supper is, I think, the way the phrase they would use. All right. And and he said, absolutely, we do it once a month. And when we do that, I said, well, what do you use? He said, grape juice. Okay. So there are many churches that will use grape juice. They're not Catholic, though. No, the Catholic churches won't use grape juice. Right. They have to use wine. Okay. Wine is required okay. in a Catholic mass. You can't have... Catholic Mass and not have wine. That's okay. part of the process. So so he said they use... Grape juice. Grape juice. And so I started asking a couple of questions about grape juice. Why did they use the grape juice? Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't have a great answer for, for why they didn't. He had some thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. One of the thoughts he had was that this was because their church taught that alcohol was bad. Okay. That it should be avoided at all cost. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked a little bit about that in the first half of the show, that as Catholics, we wouldn't believe that you would avoid alcohol. We would avoid the excess of alcohol. Right. That a little bit of alcohol is actually okay. In fact, health-wise, brings, it can be good for brings you. brings gladness to the heart. Well, it brings gladness to the heart, but also it's it's good and healthy for you. Oh, absolutely. It's heart healthy, as uh, many doctors have pointed out. Yeah, St. Paul. That's right. He told that. Timothy right. to drink some for the goodness of his stomach. but. We do need to point out that another reason why grape juice might be used um, is that many faith traditions believe that the alcohol was not fermented at that time, that Jesus basically created an unfermented grape juice or a wine that did not intoxicate, that was not allowed to go through the entire fermentation process. Now, is he saying that about all the wine that's cited in the Bible? Or is he talking about just that one miracle that that Christ performed? Well, that's a good question, and I don't think that it would apply to either. I don't think it would be correct to say either. No, I don't think it applies to either either. You know, because here's the deal. If you look at the Last Supper, Mm -hmm. the Last Supper happens in springtime in terms of the calendar year. Yep. The harvesting of grapes takes place in the fall Mm -hmm. previous to springtime, Mm -hmm. right? So you've got these grapes and if you don't do anything to a grape, if you don't refrigerate the grapes... It's going to ferment. It's going to ferment. Basically, that's part of the decay process. Within a couple of days, an unrefrigerated grape, or if you've already pressed it and you've made grape juice, it's going to start to ferment. Right. It's nature. Now, there are very specific ways, which may or may not have been known to specific people in those days, but it would have been a very rare process. You can actually create grape juice... And, and prevent the fermentation process through this extravagant sort of uh, w- way of processing this. But it was very rare, and the truth be told, that's not what they did. Historically speaking, Jews drank wine, right? and the people in this region drank wine. So at the Last Supper, all they would have had would have been fermented wine, because that's the only thing that could have happened in that process of uh, going from the fall when they harvested the grapes to the spring Mm -hmm. when they're actually going to uh, drink what they're going to drink at the Last Supper. Right. So we know this to be wine. Common sense tells us this is wine. Historical facts tell us it's wine. Now, can you paint a picture where it's possible that it wasn't? It would be a really, really 
far stretch. You'd have to do some mental Olympics to make that to make mm-hmm. that happen. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing to remember in all of this, and perhaps the most telling case for the drinking of alcoholic wine in the Bible, is this next scripture passage. And it's from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, meaning it had run out, Mm -hmm. the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So here's Jesus who makes wine and it was a lot of wine. If there's there's six jars, 20 to 30 gallons each. That's a big party. That's a huge party. And this is after the wine had run out. Right. So Jesus knows that they're having a party. And then obviously... When the wine steward comes to him and says, excuse me, but you've got this great wine here. Why did you wait for the good stuff? You should have put just a couple of couple of glasses full of the, of the good stuff and then brought out the garbage stuff. Because once they're drunk, they can't taste it. Exactly. Which is another thing that points, by the way, to that there is alcoholic content here. And people are drinking uh, to, to the point of merriment, at least. Sure. And the, the biggest point, I think, that can be made from all this... If Jesus had been totally against drinking of any kind, if he had been against alcohol, certainly making wine would not have been his first miracle. Great point. And that's so I think point. I think that's the thing that, that that's most thought-provoking. I don't know if it's going to convert anybody to the Catholic faith, but again, that's not the point of my initial conversation anyway. Right. It's really just the same goal as we have here on this show, and that is just to spread the truth of what the Catholic Church teaches so that people will understand. Right. Now... Uh, Back to the missionary Baptist gentleman that I sat next to on the plane. You know, he had some of the same questions, some of the the same stuff that usually comes up when when any religious conversation comes around to Catholics and drinking wine or alcohol or or gambling or smoking. You know, we talked about so many Catholic teachings that day. It it wasn't all about wine. We talked about we talked about Mary. In fact, that's that's where the whole conversation started. He said, you know, are you are you a Catholic priest? I said, no, I'm a Catholic deacon. He said, well, I just want to ask you about what you guys believe about Mary because I've heard some really weird stuff. Uh, and so we talked about that a lot. We talked about the Eucharist. We talked about the Protestant belief in the rapture and, and then the uh, Catholic understanding of the end times and what's coming at, at the final judgment, the general judgment. And, you know, we had some very interesting conversations. Anyway, I hope that, you know, at the end of all this, he had a greater appreciation for the Catholic Church and her championing of, of sacred scripture. In fact, he made that comment. He said, you know, I'm just so relieved to hear a Catholic Quoting scripture, and I think that's kind of a sad commentary in a way that we as Catholics 
have gotten to the point where we don't quote our scriptures. We may know generally what they teach, but we're not quoting them. And that means we need to read them more. We need to spend more time in sacred scripture. Is the is the teaching on wine found anywhere else in, in the in the church's tradition? Yeah, certainly I think it is. We've ha- we've given you several scriptural examples that will cause you at least to think that maybe the drinking of wine in moderation is okay. But also those very words are used in some of the early church documents. And, I, and I'll point out in specific a document or a set of documents, a set of books called the Apostolic Constitutions. And they're believed to be written uh, early in the 4th century, around 325 A.D. is when they're when they're generally accepted to have been written. And we certainly don't view these as scripture, but we do view them as a good insight into what they were teaching at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's purported to be the teaching of the apostles, that mm-hmm. these were, that's why they call them the apostolic constitutions. These were the teaching of the apostles, and they're applied to primarily clergy, but also uh, in some senses to laity. And we'll read from Book 8, Section 4. We say this not that they are not to drink at all, Otherwise, it would be to the reproach of what God has made for cheerfulness, but that they not be disordered with wine. For the scripture does not say, do not drink wine, but what does it say? Drink not wine to drunkenness. And again, thorns spring up in the hand of the drunkard. Nor do we say this only to those of clergy, but also to every lay Christian upon whom the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is called. And then also it talks about in Book 5, Section 2 of the same Apostolic Constitutions, Now we exhort you, brethren and fellow servants, to avoid vain talk and obscene discourses and jestings, drunkenness, lasciviousness, luxury, unbounded passions with foolish discourses, since we do not permit you so much as on the Lord's days, which are days of joy, to speak or act anything unseemly. So, Drunkenness is included in that list of things that mm-hmm. they should not be doing. Mm-hmm. And so you see a constant teaching from the church that that drunkenness is the problem. The problem is not wine. Right. Drunkenness yep. is the problem. And so hopefully that gives folks a little bit better of an insight into what the Catholic Church teaches about wine and consuming wine. I think it does. We should rate this show, Tom. We should. You should put your glass down long enough that we can uh, rate the rate the show. Study it. You know, I'd say on a scale of zero to seven, I'd give it a seven. I would have predicted that. If you had just told me the scale, I might have predicted where it would have been. Yeah. Very good, Tom. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's close as we always do in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father. You give us all that we need in this world to sustain us, to nurture us, and to draw us closer to you. Help us to maintain moderation in all that we drink, eat, think, feel, and do, so that nothing can come between the creation and the creator, between us and you. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.